This week on the Sports Initiative podcast, I sit down with International Rugby Sevens coach Warren Abrahams. He discusses his upbringing in South Africa, his transition to England and what he noticed from a cultural perspective, along with his inventive game model. As always, if you enjoy this podcast, please make sure you share it with friends and family. I hope you enjoy. Perfect. So Warren, I really appreciate you um, jumping on and spending a bit of your, your time with me. How are things your end? Now, firstly, thank you very much for having me. It's always a pleasure to, to, to share and learn. Um, yeah, obviously, it's, it's, like a, it's a beautiful day, like being back home where I'm from. And obviously, the country has come to a, to a dead standstill, but... Look, I'm enjoying this weather. Uh, now, now every, everything's good. Um, just, yeah, trying to create new things on a, on a daily basis. So, and obviously the weather definitely helps me because it, it opens up some of those, uh, those, those routes from, from back home. <laughs> no, I, that makes complete sense to me. One of, my, uh, one of my good friends and someone I grew up with is South African and he thrives in this weather where the rest of us are all melting. He's there, he's got his bry out, he's uh, having a beer, he's just imagining he's back in Durban, et cetera. So um, I can imagine it's similar for you in terms of thriving in this type of weather. So obviously for people oh, no. that um, don't know you, haven't come across your work, et cetera, do you just want to give us a bit of a whistle-stop tour of, I guess, uh, where you grew up? You alluded to a little bit there and then kind of a whistle-stop tour of some stops and where you are at the moment. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> No, yeah, obviously, like you said, born and raised in Cape Town, um, left Cape Town at about 23, uh, very naive and young with no plan in my back pocket, had a little bit of savings, um, convinced mum and dad that everything sorted, but actually nothing was sorted. I remember sitting on a plane and going, what the hell am I doing? But uh, <laughs> I've been here now for... Cheers. Most of my adult life been been over in England, uh, probably about what now, 16, 16, about 16 years, nearly 17 years, been over here. Um, obviously, when I rocked up here, no one knew really of me or know who I was. So I had to pave my own, my, my own little way to where I am now. And then, uh, yeah, so most of, most, got a beautiful Young family now, two kids. One will be five in September. One will be two in December. Misses who always keeps me grounded, feet on the ground when the head gets too big, you know. <laughs> but um, uh, yeah. So and then the coaching journey has taken me to some some amazing places so far. Started my journey started as a as a community coach was one of my my first few jobs with. Um, with London Irish and, and Harlequins, and luckily enough, um, um, they must have liked what I what I done at, at Harlequins. They created a sort of an elite pathway academy role for me at Harlequins at the time. Spent eight years eight years at Harlequins uh, rugby club. Um, yeah, I, I, I really really interesting years down there, and then and while I was doing that. Find myself at Lithuania coaching the Lithuanian national sevens team for two years on the European circuit. That um, moved, uh, well, transformed into getting a role with England sevens um, under Simon Amor, where I, uh, and Tony Rogue is the current head coach, where I spend um, spend five years learning learning the craft under under two really good coaches there. Um, and then found myself coaching the USA national women's team in prep for the 2020 uh, Olympics. Uh, did some, uh, re- re- probably one of my, my favorite jobs uh, so far. Um, and then had some various consultancy roles along the way, with, consulted with Germany um, uh, after USA took on the Welsh uh, women's 15s and 7s role for, for, for 12 months 
and now currently um, <laughs> I'm, I'm sort of doing a performance um, uh, consultant role with the, the Brazil National Sevens teams. So a very, very diverse co coaching coaching background, but uh, ah, learns, learning some beautiful lessons uh, alongside that. And then just um, uh, in process of building my own sort of online rugby um, business at the moment from coach development to a rugby skills academy, which is slowly growing. Um, uh, and yeah, that's where I'm investing most of my time at the moment. Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a snapshot of, of the coaching journey. No, perfect. I think what it does highlight, as you said, the wide ranging experiences that you've had in a variety of areas. And um, it'd be really good to dig into those. And as I, I said to you off air, I played rugby for the first time this weekend in 15 years and chose sevens, which is brutal for anyone who hasn't played it. So enjoyable, but yeah, very, very brutal. Um, I think, I guess, starting point for me is why rugby? Um, obviously in South Africa growing up, what drew you to rugby? Why did you initially decide that that was going to be your path? And yeah, what, what drew you to the game? Yes, it's probably not so much what drew me to the game. Being from South Africa, I think you... You you come out with a rugby ball in your lap over there, so uh, I'm probably born into the game. That's probably the easiest the easiest answer. Um, now, look, when you're from there and um, the era we went through at the, at the time when I grew up watching the Springboks, um, I, I I was born in a very very interesting space during that um, that apartheid space. Um, where I grew up, I've not got a, a a big concept and understanding about it as I as you evolve as a, as a young person. It's only now when I go, wow, I can't believe I've I've been in those situations. Um, when I'm looking from the outside in, um, but at the time, I I mean. 1995 Rugby World Cup probably changed my life forever. I mean, that moment Nelson Mandela gave that trophy to to Francois Pina. Um, geez, that just inspired me. I I wanted to play for the Springboks so badly. Um, I wanted to be involved in coaching. I I didn't even know what coaching was, <laughs> but it just felt like it was. It it just felt it was the right thing. So the dream probably just started there for me and and from then on geez I had Chester Williams playing in that team he was my hero um, um, sadly not with us um, anymore but I wanted to be this guy so badly um, uh, so yeah I, I was just inspired and then uh, Brayton Paulser comes along another person who looked exactly like me and and probably that is and that's the stuff that drew me to the game and really that the, the true values of the game and see how the 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 nation got got united around just one symbol and it was the springbok but the springbok meant so much um to everyone and and everyone had an opinion about the springbok um, and i wanted to be part of that <laughs> so that's probably the, the stuff that that drew me and that i i think that that moment where sort of I sort of visualized and go as a young, what, 11, 12 year old coach is I, I, I want to experience this one day. And that dream, it still sits there very much every day. Um, and yeah, that, that's probably the, the best answer I can give you. <laughs> yeah, no, that makes complete sense. And I think um, it's, it's probably quite a nice piece to talk about because you don't go into it too often. So obviously, as you said, you drew, grew up in, in, in that era where there was apartheid and stuff. And can you describe for you what that moment in terms of how Nelson Mandela there and Chester Williams and people like that meant for you in, in your community? And I guess what boost that gave you to believe that that dream was actually possible? Because um, I think at times we can understate, we, we talk about players being role models and the importance of role models being on TV. We talk about women's football at the moment um, in England and that being on BBC and how good that is for girls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to see that. Can you just describe what that meant for you and your friends and your families having that kind of on your TVs in the communities that you're in? 
Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great question, and it's uh, yeah, it's I I remember it like it was yesterday. I, I, that final alone in our in our in our community where we were. Now you got to remember, not not everyone had access to um, to stream the game or have the ability to watch the game live on on TV. So we were all crowded round. I remember we were around my friend's house, um, and and I'm, I'm talking about. <laughs> pretty much all of us in this space trying to watch the Springboks in 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 that final against against New Zealand now the interesting thing there was probably 90% of that community supported the All Blacks based on where we come from um because they they couldn't connect with the Springbok because of what the Springbok stood from for, or what the Springboks stood for in this era that we grew up in apartheid because it was seen as a white man's sport and a, it's an Africana sport. They owned the Springboks only when Nelson Mandela came into um, into lead the country where where it became this rainbow thing and the Springbok became um, a, a true part of, of who we all are. So uh, the aftermath of that game was unbelievable how we all... Um, uh, probably, probably the first time I had physical contact with a white person in terms of shaking their hands or hugging, because we all were, we all were one, <laughs> because we won this this real massive, um, massive rugby world cup, and all all of a sudden, we all are sharing the same the same thing. So it was a. It, it, it was a pretty special moment. How we all ran through the through the uh, the streets of our our local community. And when I say all, normally it it was us, the people of color, who were marching against something <laughs> because of our situation. All of a sudden, we are all we had this shared um, common goal that we all felt we we achieved, and and we were running for the the same purpose and that purpose was joy in that moment of time so so yeah i i can still see the whole the whole picture unfold in front of me but also how some of my best friends and still have some of my best friends today um who's literally in tears because um new zealand lost because they had such a deep connection to the all blacks um, um which was bizarre for me at the time but when you when you go into the depths and history and you understand things now, you go, ah, oh, okay, that makes sense. Um, so no, it, it, it was an amazing experience, and it, it's it's definitely probably a moment that that shaped me and still shaping me today. And how proud does it make you now in terms of you see the diversity in that Springbok squad? Um, you know, captain as obviously. A uh, man from that that community, etc. So, how much, how proud does that make you to see how far they've come, etc. Yeah, look, it, it, it's massive, and it's an it's an ongoing conversation. It's an ongoing conversation in South Africa, um, and the progress we've made, like being one of the few countries who's won it, what won it now three times. <laughs> So, uh, but the evolution of, of the Springbok and what it stands for, and, and now we've got the Portia and the Springbok on our chest, and it's, um, yeah, and you see how the, the country grow and changes. Obviously, it's got its difficulties on a, on a daily basis, like we all do over here as well. Um, but now the, the evolution is, is amazing, and, and, um, and the most important thing is, and I always say, look, if you... If you can see it, you can dream it. If you can dream it, you can be it. And now, obviously, you see it with the with the current England team. You see it with um, the Springboks team. There's people that looks like you. So when there's someone that looks like you, you can you can dream about these things because because it's happening. It's the same as um, what I had when I was a a young fella. Perfect. So moving on, um, what drew you into the coaching side of the game as you got a little bit older? What, what drew you towards that? Yeah, I, I was got I sort of I was I was lucky with the not lucky with the coaching side. I always 
knew I wanted to help people. I just never knew how I was going to help people through through rugby, for instance. Um, and one of my we finished school um, our last day in school, and my friend was was coaching the schools under fourteens team. Um, um, and he invited me to come along because we used to play together. It's like, oh, why didn't you come along and 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 help me coach these guys? Um, so I I went in for a little session, play played around with the with the players with a few things, um, and then he I got another invite. But what happened was he never come back. <laughs> he never came back to to train. So I kept turning out, and then. I ended up coaching this team, and from then on, it was it was. Um, I, I never looked back, and I was about nineteen years old at the time. So I tried to 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 play and balance the two together. Um, and it was it was the fact that um, that I can support people. I see the growth. I can I can I, I get excited when I when I can take someone from A to B. Um, um, and and those stuff, and I just got hungry and hungry every time I see someone progressing and, and reaching new levels. Um, that stuff really made me uh, um, excited. Um, and obviously, then the team, the team is getting better. Yeah. So obviously, you mentioned around kind of having that initial contact. Um, it sounds like it's a very person-centred point of view and like you like seeing their development and the way that they improve etc why do you think that particularly appealed to you and do you see that as something that has progressed throughout your career that you have particular interest in uh yeah no I, that's a great question I'm I always come back to this one thing I, I went through through my rugby career um and 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 I did all right I got some significant injuries at, at the wrong times always when there's there's something really special about about to happen. Um, some freak accident would would happen to me. But my mom always used to say, "Maybe you're just meant to help people." And I used to get so angry and annoyed. I was like, "Why is he choosing this particular moment where I'm meant to go into this provincial game or international competition?" And she saying. Uh, maybe you just meant to help people and not meant to go go and play. Uh, so that really frustrated me until obviously as you grow up and mature a little bit, you go, oh, okay, now it makes sense. So because my passion is, is is that's what ultimately why I coach is to inspire and develop people. And if I can do a true um, in my coaching process through the way I deliver, through the way um, I find a level of connection with, with the individual and, and I can see that progress, that person could potentially reach something um, that I could never have reached, but I can play a significant part in how that individual could get there, whether it's on a rugby field or whether it's off the field, if I can have some sort of influence to, um, to help that person uh, player with a male or female then uh, then I've played a played a little part in that and a small little part in someone's journey and and that that's where I got excited from and that's where the creativity comes in and, and where I try and look at ways how can I find a different way uh, to help that particular individual based on their needs um, yes yeah, so hopefully that answers your question there yeah no 100% I guess obviously you mentioned around some of it being tied into injury was any of it tied into coach interactions that you'd had as well was there any particular coaches that stood out that maybe didn't affect you in a positive way or those that maybe had a real positive impact in the way that you thought about rugby and the way the game should be played yeah um uh, yeah <laughs> that, that's a pretty cool question now i i, w- I probably won't say uh, a big negative in- impact on on my playing career really growing up in south africa because you only know what you know and the way we were coaching south africa um was in a very rigid structured manner um you do this and you do it well <laughs> you know, type of thing and you do it till till you bleed <laughs> that was most of our contact sessions was right no one leaves the field until someone bleeds uh, that was a very that was the norm back 
uh, back then. Um, but there was success linked to that. <laughs> and that's, that's obviously another conversation for another day. But that, that success always linked to that. So, so not really negatively influenced where you go, this guy or girl is, 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 is really not working for me. But I suppose um, I had a coach that had a massive influence on, on me. Very, uh, he was fresh out of playing in Super Rugby for the Bulls. Uh, his name is Pierre Rivers. He was tight, tight prop, really, really good rugby player. He came in and, and he he helped us. So he was in, um, he, and, I, and I think probably what made him good was he knew, he knew his job as a player. He was probably not equipped to be uh, a, a very successful rugby coach because he didn't have that sort of sort of background. Um, but what made him good is is how he made you feel. So um, yeah, and he had this real specific way of how he's going to do things, how we play, etc. But he used to always say to me, um, um, he, he might, it was a good read because he could see it doesn't quite fit into the, into the puzzle the way I wanted to fit in because it just does his own thing here. But he used to just say to me, to me individually, he'd go, right, you just bring the magic. And I, I used to go, I wonder why this guy's saying this to me as a horse player. It's just, you just bring the magic. All you do is just bring the magic, you just bring the magic. You have training sessions, games before the game, whatever it might be, just bring the magic. And, and obviously my confidence went, just went, went through the roof. Um, and then he used to go, um, he'd give his game plan and then he'd go, um, and go, oh, Warren, you've got carte blanche to do whatever you need to do. <laughs> sort of, and everyone was obviously looking at me going, Really? So that just meant, uh, I was playing fullback at the time when the ball gets kicked to me. Most of the time in South Africa, you kick the ball back and I just ran back. <laughs> I just did what I felt is the right thing to do at, at, at that moment in time. And obviously, so, so here now, when I, when I always talk about um, how he made me feel at the time was it just made me feel ridiculously good about myself and, and boosted my confidence. But also what he did um, uh, <clears throat> one day was he, he dropped me <laughs> from, from the starting team and he just wouldn't, he wouldn't speak to me until I worked out. Um, uh, I, I can't remember what, what, what I did wrong. I, and I think I turned up late for a meeting or, or whatever it, it might be. And it just, bam, gone. And then it made me play in the team below to earn my stripes back, to go back in it. So, so he gave, gave me some, some valuable life lives since there through the, through the experience. But probably the, the big thing is how he made me feel. And that's, that, that's a big part of um, uh, sort of my coaching, my coaching process ultimately why I coach is, is if I can get that part right but like we both know in a coaching space you're not going to please everyone you're not always going to gonna get gonna get that right but um if the the odds is in my favor uh 99% of the time it's it's a pretty good starting point and is there any particular players that you've worked with that you've had uh, that type of relationship or one where you really understood what they need as a player to help them produce where maybe they hadn't done previously or, you know, that, that they've had some troubles. Cause it sounds like there that, you know, he understood you as a player, which is, I, I need to keep him disciplined with around the edges about not turning late and stuff yeah, but actually yeah. on the pitch. He needs that freedom. That's how he produces his best rugby so is there any examples of you as a coach who's kind of worked that out with a player and you've seen them really flourish in that environment? Yeah, uh, uh, I like it. It's, it's one of the things I really sort of pride myself on it. And uh, I had a high number of, of those particular particular moments. Uh, I remember a young, young player out in, um, with, with England Sevens, unbelievable, gifted, talented athlete that world was his oyster by just like you referenced earlier it's a pretty tough game he just couldn't 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 get that 
that switch uh, across and, and really struggle um, mentally, but not struggle in a way where um, um, he, he doesn't want to do the work. I think when it when it when it when it starts to become hard and difficult on a daily basis and the pressures come in, all the the external behaviors kicks in, the defense modes and 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 all those stuff kicks in. That's putting blockers which which can't get him across across um, uh, to deliver what he needs to deliver on on the grass, for instance. Um, and it's 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 a high number of conversations around. Um, not what's happening on the grass, how do we deal with the stuff that's happening at home with the family, but all these type of stuff. Um, and, 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 and luckily, the, the connection was really deep for us to work this type of stuff out um, to be able to just get through that little, little barrier um, that he was facing and pretty successful player, uh, player at the moment by working through that. But it, it took a lot of work for me to understand those blockers. Because sometimes as coaches, we we see the outcome on the grass. Um, a really interesting uh, tweet the other day from um, Ali Price, who plays for Scotland after Scotland lost at the weekend. And in his tweet, he says, um, if, if, if I can analyze someone's work for 18 minutes based on what they did that whole week and then basically at the end of it go you're pretty sure that your job <laughs> because that that's what we do isn't it Scotland lost and all of a sudden they all dreadful dreadful rugby players uh based on on the tweet so it's, it's really understand understanding how they they get onto the grass so you have to spend and invest a lot of time in that side by being intentional with your with your interactions, um, etc., and and I see this a lot in the academy space when I work with with academy players, I, like one of our probably most gifted players in 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 this country at the moment uh, uh, um, in England, uh, nearly gave up the game because he just didn't like it anymore because of the pressure because what everyone puts on him, um, his, his, his home life, single parent, African descent. So uh, all these things work traditionally different. So if we say this particular individual is not committed to be a professional rugby player, but he has to take a bus and a train and a bus and a taxi to get to a, a training venue, that's pretty committed for me. <laughs> but his, his commitment just doesn't, into the norm or the perception of um, how committed you should be as a as a rugby player um, and the coach is that, focus I'm, I'm ranting there but <laughs> no I know what you mean because then the coach is focused on him being five minutes late for training and he's like well yeah he's five minutes late for training but actually got himself across London via as you said two buses a taxi and a train compared to the individual who's half an hour early but actually it's just yeah. been picked up and dropped off which exactly. one is actually more self-motivated for their commitment and development within that setup? Ah, hundred percent. And it's 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 really how we how do we build a real understanding about um, the sort of well-being space that both for coaches and players that um, we can help them better. I, I think probably the advantage. I maybe have versus some other coaches is is my background, so I have to be really resilient to get to where I where I um, where I am today and, and navigate some or, or probably best ways to find solutions to the problems that was that was put in, in into place. So I've got a little bit of experience there that I can obviously when I see it I can help and I can get over uh, uh, over those those barriers that some of our some of these young players are facing today um so when you decided to make the jump across from south africa to to england what was the driver behind that the decision and did you see any i guess particularly in rugby any cultural differences that really flagged up to the way that you experienced and played and thought about rugby in South Africa in comparison to the way that you played and thought and experienced rugby in England? Yeah, 
Um, drive is what was, it, it's, I always, I always want, I'm always the, um, I, I was just curious. <laughs> I, I was curious. I wanted to, um, at the time, no one in my family has even flown, let alone left the country. Um, but I, I was curious about the possibilities that, um, um, that could be out there. Obviously, like I said, I, I was pretty naive and um, naive with the whole decision. It was, I was involved with the, with the provincial team. I didn't get a contract and I said, I'm going to England. <laughs> now I had a little bit of savings. I was, I, 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 I was playing at the time. I was, I was running in an academy um, in South Africa as well. And yeah, I think the curiosity drove me, drove me over here. And it was just one of those things. Um, you got to dip in, like I, like I alluded to earlier with my, with my coaching background at the moment. It's, you, you never know, you know, I can say, ah, that country approached me, but no, I'm not going to go over there because I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. You, you, sometimes you just got to dip your toe in, in, in the water or not even dip your toe. That's a little bit boring. Just jump in and see what happens. <laughs> and that, that's what I did. I, I just, I, I took a massive, massive risk. Um, and, and I was hoping for the best. Literally, <laughs> I was literally I've been hoping for the, for the best. So it, 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 it wasn't the fact that I had, um, this amazing plan sorted when I get over this is going to happen I'm going to go there and, and and this club is going to come get me and I'm going to going to do now it's religiously as I'm on the plane I'm working out strategies of how I'm going to get from A to B when I get on the get on the get on the other side um and um but it, I revel in that level of uncertainty <laughs> so it but I was drawn to the to the to the northern hemisphere. Obviously, when you go back home, you you at the time Wasp was pretty good. Saracens was a good team. Leicester was a good team. So you you, you probably strong a strong relationship to London Wasp because they were winning everything um, um, uh, at the time. So you go right. How can I how can I end up playing for them? And plus, I turned up on the wrong visa. That didn't allow me to, to to play professional rugby over here, but the rugby community is uh, it's a brilliant community. You put yourself out there, and people start talking, and things open up. and 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 before I know it, I I, I got picked up. I got a housing, um, um, and I and I just let the rugby and the coaching do the talking for me. And that that was always sort of my thing. Um, when I finished school in South Africa, I knew I, my parents couldn't afford for me to, to go to university or, 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 yeah, go to the university that I really want to go, let alone go to university. So I knew I had to take a 12-month gap and I got to put all my eggs in one basket and let a rugby do the talking. And I, I was lucky enough to, to, to manage to... To literally play myself uh, into a scholarship with 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 the University of uh, of Stellenbosch, um, probably not what I would advise young players to do now, <laughs> because I think I was six months into it and I got an eighteen month injury. Luckily, I had a, had a, had a qualification that I could finish. Um, but yeah, so it's it's it is just sometimes we've got to take risks, jump, and then. And I see where it where it takes us. And what did you see in terms of the, I guess, the playing style or cultural differences around rugby? Was there any discernible differences in terms of how the game was viewed or thoughts on strategies and how it should be played, etc.? Yeah, there, uh, there were some some big differences. Obviously, still today, this is an ongoing topic of how the North versus the South play. South Africa is probably closer to to um uh closer to the northern hemisphere in terms of how they 
they play the game. Um, so it is it is probably the one of the, the the biggest things for me was the duration of the rugby season was quite long in South Africa. We've got a short, compact season, and 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 it, and it's over. It, it's over really really quickly. So yeah, it's a long season. Obviously, the game is is, is traditionally played very very slow. Um, I think the, the the pathways were were pretty big over here, where they were very limited in South Africa, um, where I come from. Um, but the the big the big probably the big thing for me coming over here was um, I sounded different, I looked different than probably 90% of the coaches in the country. Um, and that difference and then add on to my, the way I deliver and then the way I naturally see the game, that little bit of difference, obviously, it, it, it provokes some level of, of interest um, uh, with, with, how, with how things evolve for me. And I'd probably say those were the, the big game changes uh, for me when South Africa is probably there's more coaches who looks like me where over here it was well, it was quite pretty obvious that there's not there's not there's not many coaches um, plus you, you're different so it almost forced me to force is pretty strong word but forced me to deliver what I know and feel and, 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 and see around skill development, just to deliver it a little bit differently. Because I remember going for, for my first interview over here and, I, and the three guys coaching before me um, and they all coached. It was exactly the same. Like you can copy and paste that session plan. And, um, and I thought, oh, well, this, this is the way they do it. And obviously I did mine and it was completely different to what the kids would have experienced and I'm talking about probably more of the backyard game stuff me and my mates back home had to come up with if we wanted to have our own version of Wimbledon in the road for instance <laughs> put our homemade rackets <laughs> do you see what I mean so it just that level of uh, thinking slightly differently I suppose and is that stuck with you today? Because as you say, I, th- I think you can and coaches can get institutionalised to a degree in terms of how sessions should be delivered or what a session looks like and worrying about perception from other coaches or parents and, and whatnot. But do you still have that, I guess, unique spark in the way you go, actually, yeah, we're, we're developing skills with them, but we can strip this right back down to playgrounds playground games and, and we can be unique in the way that we learn these skills and make it more enjoyable and fun for the kids do you still have that even though you're working with the slightly older age groups yeah yeah 100 percent. and I do that at every level that I coach um and and it's hopefully something I would that will that will always stay true to me and that I hope I never lose one one day because it, it it does get a little bit boring and stale uh, and yeah, look, there's there's a time and place for for everything, but I'm I'm a, I'm a big believer that plays the highest form of research. And if if you can, if we can reconnect with that with that inner child more often, um, you're probably gonna gonna expand all that problem solving and physical literacy and all these big academic words that people throw out there these days. Um, but you'll, you'll just give them an opportunity to. to find solutions to their their own problems and um yeah i track i i like i said do it at an elite level and i've I've got some success there um some people like it some people don't like it but they start seeing the benefits of it and they go okay maybe there's 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 a method in the madness (laughs) and what's your what's your go-to practice so if you're if you're working with an age group and you go listen i want to uh, practice is going to really engage them it's going to be really enjoyable we're, we're going to get lots of different decisions and stuff is there one particular practice you know that's going to be a bit of a home run where everyone's going to come away with it with big smiles on their face and having learned something as well uh yeah there's, there's a number so i am a very much of um 
I, I've got a few different things that I that I think will 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 impact particular groups. So perhaps the way I would design a skill development session, perhaps the way I would design a particular game that that cater for their needs. Um, I'm not. I, I, I I'm very much of. Um, uh, I'd like to say a, a flexible thinker, where it's it's because the one thing I might do with you might be slightly different to my man over here, for instance. But there might be similarities of of that game, and then I'll jump over here to the next group, um, and we still got the foundation of of that of that game there. But this group want me to kick the ball up high more more often. <laughs> I did an under nine session. Uh, a while ago, and I said to the guys, "What do you want? What do you want to do today?" And they go, oh, "We just want you to kick the ball up high, and we'll catch it." And I go, "Okay, brilliant! I'll, I'll kick." So that was the starting point of 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 of, of, of one of my games. The ball goes up, then you got to go score over here, and 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 then get the ball back to me. Whoever can get that balls back. You go again, so like a bomb diffuser type type, type of game. So it's 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 not very much where I've got one specific game that I'm gonna 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 hang my hat on, but I've probably got a got a series of 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 core things that I can flex where I need to go to. Very diplomatic answer I'm giving you, yeah. But <laughs> no, I like that. I that's, <laughs> I like that game. I'm just thinking about it in a football context. And I think you could play that really well. You talk about that combination play to find space or whatever. Actually, if you did something like that, where they score, then the imposing team has to try and get it into you. If you've got three or four little games going on, it's practicing them combining to score, but it's also practicing them combining to play out to then penetrate into a particular area. So I think that, yeah, yeah as you said there, that, that's quite a, a fun type game that does have outcomes that you can be transferable. Yeah, 100%. And that's very much how I look at, um, at, at developing games. So you've got that core group of, of things that might, might work. So one of the games that I love doing with Brazil, for instance, is a rugby version of futsal. Um, they love it because I call it rugby futsal. Yeah, and then I just add some some contextualized skills to to this particular game. Now I might play um, the same basis of this game with um, if I do a guest session with someone else, but their needs are slightly different. So I'll, I'll the adaptation from that game will give me the outcome that they require, uh, and, and that's very much how I how I look at. Um, um, at, at, at my games, as I say, my games, most of it I come up with. Some I steal and I make it my own. And how do you make the assessment around what the, I guess, the standard of the environment is and where the needs need to go? So, obviously, you mentioned earlier that obviously you did some work with Lithuania, you did some work with the coaching on the England Sevens programme, the Women's uh, Welsh programme, all very different experience levels, all very different professional professionalization of the programmes, etc. So how do you early on in a programme identify actually these are this is what the players can do, this is where we're trying to get to, and this is the steps that we need to take in order to get there? Yeah, again, it's probably that one where you got to chuck them in. I remember with USA, bam, straight into the deep end to to an extent where I I remember three weeks, four weeks into the process, where I go, is this even working, man? I'm getting uncomfortable here. <laughs> I think this is working. I've got to go. You gotta you, you you stick to your guns and you you adapt and you move it around around um, uh, what they need. Obviously, did a lot of research on them before I before I joined that program. Um, and I remember one of the first days of training, we, we did a little game and one of the players come to me and, and she's literally, she goes, Warren, what's the, what's the route? I was like, what do you mean, what's the route? She's like, yeah, well, what's the route? How do I get from here to there? Because that's how they think. <laughs> I'd like, um, well, the game requires you to find the best space and play to the best space. This might give you an opportunity 
to attack the space. But I can tell you where that space is going to be. I guarantee you it won't be there by the time you get the ball. <laughs> so you got to work out where's the best space based on that moment of time. We know where it might be, but we can't guarantee it will be there. Um, so it's obviously very much American sports. We go A, B, C, D. That's how we're going to play the sequence. And then this random guy come in and just bombards everyone with... You're going to have to make three, four different decisions. You've got to pick the best one for the team here. Um, so that was, that was a really interesting experience. And, and I think winning the first World Series after nine weeks, um, the first World Series event after nine weeks, gave me a lot of credit in the bank. <laughs> to say that, then it, wasn't, it wasn't a great idea because I remember we won that tournament and I go, well, this is not part of the Olympics plan. I, I don't want to win so far away from the Olympics. <laughs> I need to get closer. But anyway, it worked because then everyone bought into the, the process. So it's, it's, it's then understanding it from that point of view. Then if you're dropping it down into the grassroots game, whether it's, it's football or rugby, look, we all see it on a daily basis. We got to help these guys be better with that higher order skills, creativity, resilience, self-organization, decision-making, um, uh, adaptability, all, all those high order skills that, you know, all coaches rave about on Twitter and social media, but they don't actually practice them. Um, so we got to put stuff in where, where um, we got to design sessions where they can actually explore and improve these things is because it's one thing us going ah oh, they can't make decisions oh, i just told them i literally we just spend the whole time working on this passing and then when they play the game they can't pass yeah but if we spend it in a technical model we're probably not going to see the transfer when we go onto the grass so it's really in this community space. How do we put them in, in scenarios where they can explore? And then we can break it down um, with contextualizing skills. You can do drills, you can go into free play, whatever. So it, it, it's very much, that's how I think when I'm in, in, in that community space, for instance, give you an example. I want to do a community club senior session the other night. Their biggest problem is getting people to training. How do you get people to training? You got to put a good product out, an exciting, attractive pro product where players go. That was an awesome session. Love running around, playing with my mates, all, all this stuff, and practicing new skills, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I'm gonna come next week. That's the product. That product requires creativity. You got to think about and be really purposeful about how we design and, and plan and then we bring these guys back to the game because no one it's trust me love island is on at, at the moment <laughs> i'd much rather sit with my missus and watch love island <laughs> then, then go out you know what i mean that's that's how a lot of guys yeah a lot of guys are and girls are probably thinking at the moment, oh, i can't be bothered with rugby it's uh tonight is a really interesting episode tonight so so yeah, I, we just gotta push ourselves from a from a coaching perspective a little bit more. And you mentioned around like the World Series, and I could be right in thinking that you did a, a World Cup cycle whilst you're there as well. What um, when you're building into those types of tournaments, etc. What foundations are you looking to to lay in, and how much time do you get for camps prior, etc. Because um, I appreciate some of them may be amateur, so might need to do other jobs. Others are going to be professionalized, et cetera. So what does that actually look for you? How far out do you start laying and kind of down a scheme of work or curriculum that you want to work through? Or do you do it in that way? And if not, what are you looking to achieve by the time that that first game is being played so that your group are ready to then uh, do well in that tournament? Yeah, so for instance, so America was full time, so you could really knuckle the plan down and, and, and work back from the Olympics. Obviously, COVID had his own, um, <laughs> own, own agenda, but you work back from there you, and, and obviously you build that, 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 um, that framework system. Uh, I've just used an adaptable system that allowed 
loads of flexibility there in, in terms of that tactical periodization. You pull that, work it into your what your game model looks like, where does your principles fit in, where does your um, um, uh, the priority skill areas fit into that. Um, how do you then work out what, what's the, the demands of the game, whether they fit into that whole cycle, um, how, and then how, basically how do you make up the puzzle before you break the puzzle down from the mental skills to the physical components to uh, the afterfield personal developments and how do they all fit in so you almost build this puzzle and then you start breaking it down into these key sectors that that ultimately at the end of it it comes nicely together but it, it, it it's consistently coupled across everything uh thing we do and then you just work out obviously what is your um your key themes so that first phase for instance as we alluded was i gotta put them into a situation where um decision making get through the roof because if we get that right in the the unstructured part of the game then the structured part and so on becomes it becomes easier in the in the long run so uh, almost have to use a reverse reverse in the engineering process to to expose them first before i put them back into what they know and like properly um and then so you just worked it out um um I I call it the explore, align, refine phase. So I put it into into those three phases, and then sessions were broken down into those phases. And and the refine phase was obviously that last little bit before we go into the games ultimately. So so that's how you look from from that perspective of how to ultimately put the the puzzle together, but. For our grassroots guys uh, over here, it's just really understanding what is the what is the principles, what is the required skills, um, uh, whether that is rugby principles and physical principles and mental skills principles, and how do we how do we put it into our into our session design to so you can you can replicate a session where you coach and under nine. 16, 18 senior community, the foundation remains the same. Um, and then you just tailor it based on the outcomes you need and, and obviously the individual's requirement, um, et cetera. That, that's very much how I look at things that in these different spaces. And do you have like a set time frame? So say if you're going through that explore phase, for example, and we, you might be going, I don't know, uh, looking at combinations to penetrate, for example, it might be different combinations we can use to create space and penetrate. Would you say by week two, we need to be able to do X, Y, Z, or is it very much kind of open-ended in terms of, well, actually we'll just see how they get on with this. And it might be that they get this done in a week, which gives us more time to work on offloading from line outs, or is it very structured within that in terms of we've got a week on this, a week on this, a week on this to ensure that you cover all the bases? Because obviously the last thing you want is everything taking too long. And then when you get to tournament, you haven't done pressure defense because you've spent all your time doing this. Yeah, it's it's probably working out for you. What is the most important stuff? Why well, use like a win analogy? What is important now? So in, in you work that out. I'm very much flexible um, with 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 my with my process, but understanding that um, this is this phase. So if the phase is, let's say the phase is round. Um, uh, I give you uh, what's the uh, probably best example with with Brazil at the moment. The, the phase is leading up to a peak competition, which is the rugby. World Cup, so so you got to rebuild everyone because they had a big break. So now it's just a rebuild phase. So it, it's more about so we we uh, we in this exploring some new things um, uh, um, around some of the set piece stuff at the moment. So that set piece is then broken down in a few different areas. But you know by 
let's say with five, six, you need to have a, a real good base of where you need to be. So you want to be able to, let's say, execute this consistently by that. So it, it gives you something to work towards, but you also know it might be finished in two weeks' time. So how do you move on? You might still get to week five and go, hold on, we're not there yet. But underneath, that's your high priority stuff. Underneath, there's always a consistent base that you never forget. But it's just, you, you just spike up priority stuff that you know, I get more here, but your bang for your buck stuff always sits here underneath and you just keep checking into them, checking into them. Because they are they're the, they're the stuff that makes you good. Because we always want to just focus on the, the stuff we can't do in coaching, isn't it? <laughs> so keep tapping away with this stuff that, and then um, hopefully in the next block, you could see it now it, uh, under high intensity pressure, for instance, because this block is a little bit lower because we, we climb in the leather. Um, if that answers the question. <laughs> yeah, no, it does. I think w- what you said is really nice there as well is having that underpinning principle allows you to focus on that consistently. And then if you do have those areas that maybe take a little bit longer or shorter than you'd like, you know that you've got that foundation and base to work from regardless. Um, I guess a yeah. uh, question, question for me is how much time do you spend analysing and strategizing? Um, when you're going into competitions for particular opponents so you know if you're going in a group where you've got like New Zealand uh, Samoa and South Africa how much time do you spend focusing on them and trying to combat some of their techniques and skills and compared to how much time you focus on what you guys are doing and you know the way that you plan on on playing and executing particular phases of the game yeah and and that's a that's a a really good question because they vary in 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 every in every team depending on the stage of your team uh, with with England sevens men for instance um we had a group of unbelievable world class players they were i mean you're talking about the likes of Dan North and Tom Mitchell Dan Bobby Harry Glover uh Richard the Carpenter these these guys were world class sevens players in in, in their own right, they didn't uh, they didn't need a lot because they were so far ahead. So the the stage of that team was so far ahead. So they almost did more of the work um, to push the to push the team forward. So they just required maintenance, consistent check and challenge. Where you go, have you thought about that a little bit? Um, what do you think there? So it's how you can push their game a little bit forward based on the stage of of that team because um, it was a very, very experienced squad. So you, you can drive them and you can try new things, et cetera, and you can be very specific with this tournament that we're just going to focus on um, how many tries we can score from a scrum, for instance, or penalty plays or whatever it might be. Um, and to answer your question, the opposition is a, is a good one because you can then spend a lot of time around around the the, um, uh, the opposition because this group just requires maintenance almost. Um, we flipped that probably um, it, it currently with, with Brazil, for instance. The team requires probably more before you look at the outside. Um, based on where this team is currently. So that's always an interesting dynamic. So this team currently, uh, and, and to be fair, we've now gone to a, to a, to a stage where we can now tailor, tailor, tailor the group. So when you're in a group, you can closely look at the group um, and then facilitate framing closer to how that group defends or how, New Zealand defend from a scrum, how, let's say, Australia defend from a scrum, how Fiji defend from a scrum. To be fair, that's a tough group if you put them all in, in one group anyway. <laughs> how they defend from a scrum, for instance, then you can strategize. So you always look at that, but the, the group probably needs a little bit more work before we go right now over. You can probably do, do this more um, if, if, if that makes sense. So it all depends on where your team is, uh, what state, 
but probably the key thing is you always it, it, there's no limitation it is just the amount is you reduce the amount you all still go look can you have a look at their setups from defense you see it, yeah no that makes yeah, sense yeah. i guess my next my next question off the back of that is and it's how much of it is your strategy or game model game plans related to the players that you've got as well if you've got a very physically imposing team that might be a little bit stronger do you if you do strategize do you strategize to use that as a strength equally if you got a very small team you know that are very agile but might not be so great in contact do you make sure that you kind of create a game model around that principle that actually we're going to play like this because we know that we're not going to be able to get into a hitting match with New Zealand because they're just going to pick us up and throw us out of bounds like do you do you think does your game model adapt to that accordingly yeah a hundred percent it's it's you got to look at that so your your team dictates the way you're going to play if that if you and that's well one of the probably the best work so far with brazil is how do you play to your strengths basically so now how do you strategize to be able to bring these ridiculously fast athletes into the game more often because if they catch the ball more they score more tries simple game so how do we get the ball there so then you got to put a few things in place um to get it there now the cool thing about sevens you do this in game one in game two someone make an adaptation with how they defend and if you've not quickly evolved then you get found out. So there's sevens is all about cat and mouse. So you got to consist. That's why you need a flexible adapting team. That's why I love the game so much because there's no one size fits all um, type of process because they're all so uniquely, uniquely different. Um, so yeah, I think the the player strength builds your structure basically, and then you got to then it's your job. Uh, also, your job as a coach, and then combine that with some player input of how you're gonna you're gonna find ways to, to tactically create space for your superstars. <laughs> no, no bomb squad in uh, sevens. They'd get found out too quickly if you had the bomb squad. Uh, <laughs> that'd be pretty cool. That that would be a pretty cool tactic to bring out to bring yeah. your own version of a bomb squad in. If you can get your team to that level, wow, that's yeah. pretty good. It's interesting. It's always fun to watch that lot. But listen, I appreciate we're um, we're close to the time allotted for, for this. So one question uh, for me to finish, which is, who's the most impressive coach or player you've worked with in this space, and why? Ooh, that's a tough question. Eh? She's most uh, most impressive. Uh, let's go coaches. There's not many coaches that I. Highly rate, to be honest, <laughs> but uh, that's another conversation. But I, I probably uh, just uh, probably Simon Amor. I I worked under him for five years, and 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 he made me he he forced me to to be good at my job, <laughs> put it that way. So I learned some really cool lessons that still today um, in in my in my coaching every every single day so he'd be up there as a as a coach that that I and a coach and a thinking buddy that I always look up to um a guy that I uh that I really rate as a as a coach just watching his stuff I've never met him personally Scott Wisemental he's coaching um uh Aussie at the moment Australia 15s the attack coach I think he's a pretty cool coach the way he looks looks at stuff so that, that, those would be two guys and then obviously look at across the different different sports with Pete Carroll and those guys over there they always some inspirational information there <laughs> yeah. uh, players yeah. yeah I think it's really interesting just to see you know that unique way in which which you work and still being able to do that at the top elite level because I think quite often we see maybe in the academy systems coaches give that a go but then when they get to top level they kind of go well no I've got to conform because otherwise you know I can't do that so to hear that you're still doing that at the top end I think gives everyone I see that a lot (laughs) I see that a lot (laughs) 
Uh, play, player wise, geez, I have so many, so many good players. Uh, yeah, Marcus Smith would definitely be up there because again, he he does what he feels is the right thing. Um, and I see that when he was a 13-year-old little fella. Um, so I, I still enjoy very much enjoy watching him. Uh, two female players, Emily Scarrett, when I coached third England sevens, she's always tried to be ahead of you. She, she's like she's like a mini Yoda. So I had to really be on my metal when I coached her because she, she's gonna beat you. So you had to you had to be a ahead in terms of games. So if I come up with a game and I put a constraint, I sort of solve that problem really quickly. Um and then I then I have to add a new problem, new problems because well, you keep changing it. I was like, well, yeah, because it's my game. <laughs> so see, she'll be up there from a player perspective. Um uh and then a left Calter USA unreal athlete. Uh soccer player ice hockey player and sevens player for for USA that that's pretty cool she's a pretty pretty cool um player and then sevens wise probably I'd say Tom Mitchell would up, be up there from a sevens perspective just in terms of his brain it's unreal the way he thinks about about stuff so those would be my players Perfect. Listen, Warren, really appreciate your time. A great conversation. And where can people find your work at? Obviously, you mentioned it at the start. Where where can they find your work if they are interested in anything they've heard today? Yeah, so you can obviously uh, hit me up on my website, which is coachingforpotential.org. Uh, uh, there's a lot of stuff on there. And find me on Instagram, Instagram at uh, Rugby Creative. I post all my... Uh, video content on there for for coaches and players and and um, yeah people to learn from and then yeah on that website you can see the stuff that I do from coach mentoring to skill development team stuff etc so yeah reach out perfect listen really appreciate your time and we'll catch up again soon nah thank you very much mate appreciate it thanks for having me Thanks for listening to the Sports Initiative podcast with me, Michael Wright. Please remember to follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at the Sports Initiative podcast and share this podcast with friends and family. I'll see you next week.